0: In western New York State, right by the border with Pennsylvania, is the Allegheny Territory that belongs to the Onondaga people.
1: People of the Great Hills, that's uh, what it translates to in our language. So most people call us, like, Seneca.
0: It's hard to say exactly when the Onondaga first came to New York. But it's been at least a millennia, and there's evidence of native habitation in the region, going back many, many, many thousands of years.
1: I would just say that we've always been here, because nobody's can, can prove that we had not
0: And on that land today is the Ono Seguende Cultural Center, a 33,000-square-foot, all-purpose space meant to educate the public on the culture of the Onoduaga people. And a visit to the center will show the diversity of the Ona culture as it relates to their living on the land and how they've interacted with each other over the years. For example, one is the way they settled major disputes. They did it through a game we now call lacrosse. And even though the modern European game of lacrosse differs from its Native American roots, there is an exhibit at the Cultural Center which shows how the history of lacrosse, even into the present day, still intersects with the Onondaga people's fight for their sovereignty. I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura. Celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Today, we go to the Allegheny Territory of the Onondaga people to learn about the creator's game and the constant fight to be recognized. More after this. along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. The highlight of the Ono Seguende Cultural Center is without a doubt the Seneca Iroquois National Museum. It was started in the 1970s to safeguard the Seneca culture and history. To be clear, when I say Onondaga. Or Seneca, they are the same people. It's the same tribe. Today, if you walk through the museum, you'll see a ton of exhibits that show longhouses, the traditional homes of Onondaga people, and exhibits that focus on the contribution of women to the Onondaga way of life. But there's one exhibit that feels sort of surprising that jumps out at you. It's a series of historic photographs showing Native peoples playing lacrosse and it takes the museum-goer all the way from the creation of the game to its current form. And below that, there are a couple of lacrosse sticks, some jerseys, including one jersey that is white and purple with Iroquois nationals written across the chest. Above the whole exhibit are the words, The Creator's Game.
1: Many different nations across what is now considered North America played a game similar in terms of a game with a stick, with netting, and some sort of ball. This is
0: Hayden Hayes, the director of the museum and a member of the Onondaga tribe.
1: And the rules and the regulations and the purposes slightly varied throughout all these different nations across what's now North America.
0: The version of the game lacrosse that most people are familiar with today, it's most similar to a version played by the Haudenosaunee people, who were native to almost all of New York State and part of Canada. And that version played a very important role to the Onodawaga people as well.
1: Well, it was, and, it's, and it still is important, because the game wasn't really a game. I guess you could say it was sort of like a ceremony, maybe, in that some people call it the creator's game. Like, if you go like if you go to or read a book about Haudenosaunee and stuff and they talk about lacrosse, you might hear it called the creator's game, or you might hear it called the little brother of war the creator's
0: game was played to lift the spirits of the creator. In times of death or famine, the game could be played amongst people to grant favor in the eyes of the creator.
1: And then another version is called, like I said, Little Brother of War. So that is because in times of dispute between two nations, right, if these nations cannot um, come to an agreement about whatever it was they were discussing, whether it be territory, hunting grounds, etc., then a game of lacrosse might be played, and then that would be a way to avoid war and conflict because the game would decide the terms of the agreement. So whichever team won, they would get the better, I guess, bargain of the of the agreement.
0: These games were very violent. They had little to no rules, no boundaries. Each team could have hundreds of players, and while games could last days, determining the winner was relatively simple.
1: Basically, it was the first team to
0: score three goals. European settlers in the 17th century observed these games and added their own elements, eventually turning it into games of lacrosse that we know today. And over the years, Native people have also started playing the Europeanized version, both domestically and internationally. But back to that exhibit. In 2007, the Iroquois Nationals team placed second at the World Indoor Lacrosse Championships. A few years later, they were ready to try for first place at the 2010 World Championship Games in England.
1: They were trying to go across seas to compete in the World Games as an independent, indigenous uh, nation, which they are. And so we have these uh, passports that should be recognized uh, internationally. And what happens is those passports weren't being recognized.
0: Immigration officials refused to recognize the players' passports and denied them entry which was a big change, since the Iroquois had been able to use their own passports since the 1970s. But it changed after 9-11, when the U.S. and other governments implemented more stringent visa and passport requirements. One player told The Guardian at the time that he had no interest in traveling under a U.S. passport. He said of his passport, "'That's the people we are. That's our identity. My father put a wooden lacrosse stick in my crib when I was a baby,' And now that I have a son, I put a lacrosse stick into his crib. They were forced to forfeit their games and wouldn't compete again until the 2014 World Lacrosse Championships in Denver, Colorado. The team won third place at that tournament, regaining their position as one of the best lacrosse teams in the world.
1: And so it wasn't really to me about lacrosse. It was more about um, challenges to our sovereignty, which happens all the time.
0: As can be said for the Native tribes all across the country, the Onondaga relationship with the U.S. government and the New York state government has been tense, to say the least. And it all goes back to this issue of land and who has been living there and for how long.
1: The fact of the matter is throughout, throughout our histories, shared histories with Europeans, they really want to downplay our existence as indigenous people on this uh, continent. Because when you in, when you downplay our existence and you shorten it in terms of how long we've been here, then that solidifies the other argument that, well, you weren't really here that long, so it was okay for us to sort of swindle you out of lands. Or you guys came from China over, or you came from well, the Bering Strait uh, land bridge um, through Alaska. That means that you are settlers yourself, which means that you technically don't own land, so it's okay that we did what we did to you.
0: Take the Onondaga Cultural Center, for example. It sits within Allegheny Territory.
1: Well, Allegheny is thirty thousand acres, but um, sadly, only twenty thousand is actually like a usable area. For years, the
0: Onondaga people have struggled with the federal government over the Kinsua Dam in northwestern Pennsylvania. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers built the dam in 1966 to prevent Pittsburgh and other cities that had been prone to flood disaster. It is considered a successful public work, but was always controversial with the Onondaga people. That's because in order to make it work, the government seized land that had been promised to the tribe. More than 100 families were displaced. Hayden says the effects still reverberate today.
1: That's what I was alluding to. I said Allegheny has 30,000 acres, but only 20,000 of it is actually livable. That's because of the Kinsua Dam that happened and flooded part third of our territory, which still does every single year.
0: The government reached a settlement in 1964 with the Seneca Nation. The funds from that settlement have been used to create a foundation for future Seneca generations by funding education and social programs. But a price cannot really be put on a loss of so much ancestral land. Though the struggle for sovereignty continues, Hayden says that the mission of the Seneca Iroquois Museum and the entire Ono Seguende Cultural Center is not to be the voice of the Seneca Nation or even of the issues of the day. The focus, he said, is to preserve and protect some of their people's most important materials, whether it be physical art, archaeological objects, or lacrosse jerseys.
1: And we safeguard that stuff for our people. And we have a responsibility to our community to share those things, to um, bring people in to educate not only just us, but our community as well. And that's sort of our stance, I guess you could say. And
0: the education is important because it's also the first step in the path to healing the wounds of the past.
1: Well, I I think um, it's important that um, because there's some heavy stuff in our exhibits, right, because in order for us to to create allies with non-Indigenous folks, in order for us to correct um, bad narratives in terms of writings and history and just thoughts in general, we have to create a common memory Indigenous peoples and non-Indigenous peoples cannot move together if one group is still believing the mythologies of the foundations of the United States of America. Our group is living, well, we have the lived experience, we have the generational trauma, we have the historical trauma that we carry. So... What I want people to do when I give a tour is I give a tour and we talk about those things as we go throughout and it's not all those heavy subjects but when we get to the end I always ask people to remember that to take away the fact that we despite all of those things we are still here as a people we are stronger than we were and we are you know we're a living people and uh, we are resilient people as well.
0: The Ono Seguende Cultural Center is open weekdays from 10 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. You can check out some of their current exhibits online and plan your visit from there. We will put a link in the show notes. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Stitcher Studios. This episode was produced by Baudelaire. The production team includes...
1: Doug Baldinger. Chris Naka. Camille Stanley, Manolo Morales. Gabby Gladney.
0: Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was mixed by Luce Fleming. If you want to learn more, be sure to visit atlasobscura.com. There is a link in the episode description. And our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I will
1: see you next time.
0: Now playing in Los Angeles, exquisite food and drink, world-class art everywhere, spectacular sports, and dazzling Hollywood attractions. L.A. offers the full variety of food scene, from game-changing taco trucks to 35 Michelin stars. And did you know that Los Angeles has more museums and theaters than New York? It is indeed scandalous, but also unfortunately true. So get your fix in music, film, comedy, or world-class museums in L.A. Plus, you can get a behind-the-scenes movie magic with a world-famous studio tour. That is something that should be on everybody's bucket list. Start here with DiscoverLA.com.